2002, in early 2002, um, one of my uh, good friends from SEAL Team 2, uh, Neil Roberts, he was killed in Afghanistan. And he was the first uh, SEAL to die after 9-11. Mm. Um, and I always thought it would kind of be cool someday to memorialize him in in some way hello and happy new year welcome to marathon swim stories where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers and those who support them i'm marathon swimmer and coach Shannon Keegan. We're seven days into 2022. So far, I'm optimistic to see what the new year will bring. No matter where you are in the world, I hope that you're staying healthy. I hear that some places are going into lockdown and pools are closing again. If that's the case for you, I hope that you'll enjoy going back through the archives and reliving some of the early marathons from stories from 2020 and 2021. I'm finally getting around to this interview from late November. I spoke with one of the founding members of the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim, the original Frogman Swim, which has grown to several locations, is a 3.4 mile swim across Tampa Bay that runs each January With just a few hundred swimmers, it has been known to raise as much as $700,000 for the Navy SEAL Foundation. This important organization provides for the families of fallen SEALs. In this episode, Captain John Doolittle tells us about himself, how he grew up a swimmer, but never thought that he would end up swimming across the English Channel. He did so to raise money for the family of his friend, Neil Roberts, who fell in combat not long after 9-11. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, John Doolittle. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Tell us, what's your story? Hey, Shannon. Hi. Hey, thank you so much for having me on your 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 podcast or video podcast or whatever the proper term is. Right, but uh, I appreciate either. being on. Series. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to have you. Tell me what what the heck is your story? How did you find water? What made you push your limits in the water? Tell us everything. Okay. Well, um, everything. Wow. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. Well, um, okay. So, uh, I'm from Northern California and, uh, I have a sister and my two parents, uh, grew up in the Bay area, San Francisco Bay area. Um, I swam, through high school for uh, Mike Troy. Um, Mike was a uh, double gold medalist, a um, world record holder in 1960 Olympics. Um, and around that time frame, he was one of the dock councilmen swimmers. Um, just an in, in, incredible guy. I, 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 I you know, he, he since has, uh, has passed away, unfortunately, but my kind of second dad in, in a lot of ways. And um, Mike's story is intertwined <laughs> into my story okay. uh, because Mike was a, a SEAL in Vietnam. Okay. And um, I, always, I always remember his, um, his stories during workouts and, and they weren't stories about Vietnam, <laughs> okay. but they were stories about being being um, a SEAL in training, mm-hmm. and oh my God, the guy was the best storyteller. He would have been perfect for this podcast <laughs> because he had you rolling on the freaking ground constantly. Um, but I swam for Mike Troy. My sister swam for Mike as well. 
uh, Tori, Tori Doolittle, now Tori Crawford. She swam at um, University of Arizona. She was a wildcat. Um, and, and she's, um, and, and she went down the nursing uh, path and she lives in Santa Rosa, uh, with her family. Uh, my parents moved out of the Bay area and they live in Bodega Bay, Bodega Harbor in Northern okay. California. Beautiful, beautiful area. Um, I have lots of friends in the Bay area. Um, but I live in St. Petersburg, Florida now, um, but my swimming story, I'll start with Mike, Mike Troy, uh, swam through high school. He helped me uh, decide to swim, uh, to try and swim in college. Uh, I wasn't like a, a star high school swimmer, but um, like maybe good enough to swim at a D1 school. So he helped me kind of navigate that. Um, long story longer, I ended up swimming at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, I graduated from there. Yeah. Yeah. That that was kind of weird. California surf, skate, punk, going to a military. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, did you went to Air Force Academy for, wait, when college? Yep. Okay. Yep. I went there um, in 1988. I graduated in 1992. But what's interesting is um, in 1991, we were told if you weren't in the top third of your graduating class, uh, you were not going to go to pilot training. You were going to go do other stuff in the Mm. Air Force. And uh, so I called my dad. My dad retired or was he was still in the Air Force at the time. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, that's that's how it goes. and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to be in the Air Force if I can't fly. Uh-huh. And he's like, uh, well, talk to Mike, see what he thinks. You know, that, that's like dad number two, right? Yeah, I call yeah, Mike yeah. Troy. <laughs> and uh, I call, I call Mike Troy and, and Mike's like, oh, get out of the Air Force, go in the Navy and become a SEAL. Mm. And I'm like, well, Mike, I'm, I'm at the air force academy like taxpayers paid for me to become an air force guy i don't think i can go in the navy and uh mike's like "Ah, i don't know i think you can look into it and uh i did look into it and and he uh he was right if you go to a military service academy because of the title 10 funding and authorities um you technically can be commissioned in another service. You just got to do, get some approvals and do a bunch of paperwork. Um, so the longer story continues. Um, okay. I graduated. I ended up being commissioned as an ensign in the United States Navy. Um, went into the Navy. Uh, didn't get into SEAL training initially. Um, BUDS is, stands for Basic Underwater Demolition School. Um, but every six months I submitted the application. I kept getting denied, denied, denied. And so after three years, I finally got it. Um, so I graduated Air Force Academy in 92, uh, cross-commissioned into the Navy, was a salvage diver. I was a hard hat salvage diver for three years in the Navy and Finally got approved to go to SEAL training or BUD school, uh, BUDS training, and went to BUDS and became a SEAL in 1996. So did another 21 years in the Navy as a SEAL and retired out of SOCOM headquarters, Special Operations Command at SOCOM headquarters mm-hmm. here in Tampa, Florida, uh, four years ago. So I did, uh, you know, 25 years in the Navy. 21 of those years I was in the SEAL teams um, for all that um, interesting time, uh, you know, uh, Kosovo, Bosnia, and then 9-11 happened, and uh, all the, all the dynamics uh, that changed after 9-11, and I did all that, and retired out of the Navy four years ago, Uh, went to go work for Steven Munitonis, who you know, that's how the intro happened, (laughs) and went to go work at this company, uh, Katsu, and I've been with Katsu for the last uh, four years. 
Um, none of that story touches on the open water swimming part. Um, but it's a but good that, overview. That, that's part of the story us... that I'm sure we'll get to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so curious about, yeah, like how, what, what, I'm curious about seal training. What else do you want to tell us about? When did you, when did you first get into open water? So you had your training um, with Mike Troy and did you guys do open water as kids? Uh, nope, never once, but I was a surfer growing up. So I was, I, I liked uh, being in the waves. I liked being in the ocean. Um, I always was, I don't know, like a hyperactive ADHD, you know, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. I was just always bouncing off the walls. But the one thing uh, in life that seemed to really calm me down um, and, and just help me focus on whatever was swimming and working my ass off for, for Mike or, if not with Mike, in the ocean. And I've always had this weird kind of affinity to the water. I saw it with our kids as well. When Sean was born, we have three kids, Sean, Ryan, and Meg. Sean's 19. Um, anyway, when he was first born, you know, he'd be bouncing off the walls. And as soon as we laid him in the water, it was like, ah. and I was like, oh, yeah, it makes so much sense. That's exactly how I am. But um, I never swam open water with, with Mike. I went to swim at the Air Force Academy for Casey uh, Converse. And Every year at um, winter training, we would do an open water swim. Oh. So one of the afternoon workouts at Christmas training every year was uh, like a structured open water swim. Okay. Uh, I remember one of them was at Alamoana Mall or outside Alamoana Mall in, um, in Waikiki. Waikiki. We had Christmas training in Hawaii once. And, uh, and I, I guess. Yeah, that probably was my first kind of quasi open water. I don't know if you consider that open water swimming back and forth in the ocean in front of Alamoana yeah. Walk. Yeah. But it was beautiful. And I remember that sensation of uh, like no walls and being able to kind of find that rhythm and then lose yourself a little bit in that mm -hmm. rhythm I remember thinking wow I never feel like this when I'm in the pool because <laughs> the walls come up too fast you gotta turn <laughs> yeah you know when you come every every time you hit a wall it kind of disrupts everything That's I think, or yeah. if you're doing the set every time you stop and you know you squeeze in that five seconds of conversation catch your breath for a couple of seconds and then you go um you never at least I I never really uh got into that zone and so christmas training with casey was the first time i experienced um that zone then uh you know so i did i, I started playing around with it a little bit more uh enjoyed it but you're going to and, school in uh, colorado springs so there's nowhere to swim around there <laughs> open water is there <laughs> no 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 open water in Colorado Springs. <laughs> right. So where did you, how did you, um, yeah, where did that end up taking you? So you get a little taste of it and then what do you do? Well, um, well, I, I, I remember I was stationed in Germany. We, uh, we had a tour in Germany and um, let's see, it's when Sean was born in Germany. So we were there in uh 2002 to 2004 and during a trip to uh, um naples uh italy we had some uh i had some downtime like i had I, I remember i had this whole open uh morning and um and i just read some article about somebody having swam the english channel and um, it was a beautiful morning and I just had this like oh, I want to go for a swim and there's water right there right up right near the hotel so I put on some shorts I didn't have a swimsuit or anything I just put on some shorts um, 
borrowed some goggles and I went for the swim, just a long swim. And I remember thinking uh, of the English Channel while I was doing this swim. I was like, man, someday maybe that would be something really cool uh, to do. But but Shannon, the water was warm, <laughs> clear. There was like beautiful scenery. I could see girls on the beach in bikinis walking around. I was like, oh, this is probably just what it's like to swim. <laughs> swim to France. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I, I remember I... I I just kept going and going. And again, I like lost myself in it. Next thing, Nick, by the time I looked at my watch, I'd been swimming for an hour and a half, but I never turned around. I was oh, just wow. enjoying the scenery. And, and I was like, oh shit, I got to be at a meeting in a half hour. <laughs> so I had to swim to the beach, you know, and sprint all the way back to the hotel, you know, change and was late to the meeting. But that, 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 that kind of planted a seed um, mm-hmm. that I don't know, like someday I wanted, I, I had it in my head at that point. I was like, God, maybe someday uh, I'll do that. I was not a distance swimmer in, in high school or college. I was like a, um, I was a middle, I was a breaststroker, 200 breast, mm-hmm. 100 breast, mm-hmm. 200 I am, yep. 100 fly, <laughs> but nothing over a 200 ever. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so because that that I I did I well, let me let me back up um, in 2002 in early 2002 um, one of my uh, good friends from SEAL Team Two uh, Neil Roberts he was killed in Afghanistan and he was the first uh, SEAL to die after 9-11 mm. um, and I always thought it would kind of be cool someday to memorialize him in in some way um, but I never I never put two and two together mm-hmm. um, and then after that tour in Germany uh, the Navy decided uh, to send me to uh, Monterey, California. There's a postgraduate school there, mm-hmm. um, the Naval Postgraduate School. And um, so uh, I, I went to school there and <laughs> the, 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 what did we say? It, it's like defense analysis, unconventional warfare. Um, I think technically the class was, was, or the, the, the master's program is it's a master's of science. (laughs) So you do some modeling and stuff, but the, the title of the, of the course load is, um, um, SOLIC, S-O-L-I-C, uh, special operations, low intensity conflict. So my master's (laughs) is in a master's of science in Solik, which is wow. basically, you know, unconventional war fighting. Wow, uh, which fascinating. Is sort of, sort of weird. Um, but while I was there, I had a lot of downtime. Okay. And um, I remember uh, thinking, wow, this would be kind of a cool time to do something in memory of Neil. Um, and... I remember having a conversation with Mike and I don't remember how exactly it came up and he had no idea about, you know, like a year earlier I'd been swimming in Naples and was had, Oh, wow. Maybe someday I'll do the English channel. Um, And I was talking to Mike and I was talking about Neil and I had some downtime and I, I, I would like to do something in memory of Neil and maybe raise some money for the, um, for the Navy SEALs foundation because at that time we were starting to lose uh, more guys over mm-hmm. in Afghanistan and there was a need um, for surviving spouses and kids to, yeah. to help them out in any way and we had the uh, uh, the UDT SEAL Association and we had the Navy SEAL Foundation both of which were, would help in different ways but they didn't have much money mm-hmm. at that time um, in, um, 
you know, when, when I went to Monterey, which was in early 2004. And uh, so anyway, I'm talking to Mike about it. And Mike's like, without skipping a beat, he's like, you should raise money for him, his family, and you should do it by swimming the English Channel. Wow. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, Mike, I was a breaststroker, you know, like 200. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but you know, you, you, you went through SEAL training. It'd be a breeze. No problem. You can do it. <laughs> and um, I was like, well, okay. It's funny you say that because I've actually thought about that in the past, not for swimming it in memory of Neil, uh, but I have thought about doing it. So that, that started the whole conversation. <laughs> and um, and uh, then I reached out to Karen Burton. Um, I don't know if that name rings a bell, but Karen was one of our coaches uh, back at the Air Force Academy. And she um, was an incredible distance open water swimmer herself. Um, ironic. I, I actually don't know her married name. She'll kill me for that. But anyway, Karen. So I called Karen and I was like, hey, uh, you know, I've never really done anything hard open water. Yeah, but it looks like the first real one I'm going to do is the English Channel. Could you help me? And she's laughing. She's like, oh, my God, do. Are you serious? You sure you don't want to do some stuff leading up to that? And I was like, well, I'm at school. I got a little bit of time. And, and I have this window where it looks like the school will let me uh, fly out to Dover. And they'll give me a little bit of time to go do this. Um, you have a son at that's how old at this point and you're on the family front <laughs> what's your wife thinking <laughs> oh oh yeah what's my wife thinking that's that's <laughs> that's a great question because um well one of the things karen said was you you have to start acclimating uh to cold water when's the last time you swam in 58 59 degree water and i'm like yeah without a wetsuit <laughs> and she's like yes john without a wetsuit. <laughs> and i'm like uh never well no that's not true at buds i mean at buds we you know we did stuff in cold water of course yeah for sure um, but i've never done an open water swim with no rubber on i mean in buds you do you do these two mile ocean swims all the time but you always have on uh, a wetsuit top mm -hmm. um and, and she's like, yeah, that's, you, you need to start acclimating. So uh, back to Katie's thoughts on this whole thing. She, so like the next six months of my life, I was kind of getting ready for this, for this event. And I, and I told Katie, who was pregnant with Ryan. So Sean was really young. Ryan had not been born yet. And, and Katie's like, well, wh what is entailed with this? training for the English channel. And I said, well, you know, I got, I got to eat a lot and I got to swim a lot. It'll be fun. It'll be easy. How hard can it be? Right. right? <laughs> and she's like, well, okay. So how, how's this look? And, and Karen and I came out, came up with a kind of plan, which was basically, um, you know, a gradual increase of yardage up to a point and then kind of a quick decrease in yardage but alongside with the lar the yardage graph was a um increase immersion immersion time mm -hmm. regardless of how far you swam how long you were in water and and, and monterey is a good place to do that great place you know, yeah yeah it's usually around that that 58 to 62 somewhere in there mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of, kind of, kind of what we did. You know, we, we, the first, the first time I tried, uh, swimming without any rubber in Monterey, uh, I think I lasted like five minutes and jackhammered for like the next 15 minutes in the car with the, with the heater on high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I, I, I remember calling Karen that, that night and I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, because the people you have on this podcast, you know, they, this is, you know, they, they, they do this over and over again. You know, they're like marathon swimmers, right? I yeah. mean, the website, marathon swimmers. <laughs> right. I didn't even know what a marathon swim was. I was like, does that mean it lasts a long time? Or does that mean it's a certain distance? Does it, you know, is that a temperature? Right. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I, yeah. I thought I'd be okay, you know. Yeah. I, I thought it'd be okay doing all the, having the seal training as a back yeah take us there for a second what was it like with your swimming background going into buds I'm curious like did you feel like I guess I've read you have kind of read some books and whatever and heard a little bit about buds training and you hear about it from the perspective of like non-swimmers I'm curious what it was like for you (laughs) well um field training is really interesting you you get big burly strong guys on one end of the spectrum all the way down to you know somebody that's like just over five feet tall and has almost no body fat and looks like maybe they've never been involved in sports Mm. before Mm -hmm. and you have the whole spectrum Mm -hmm. you know tall short fat skinny and nobody can really, nobody has really figured out from body type wise who, 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 who is going to succeed and, and who fails. So then it becomes, okay, well, we can't really tell by body type. What about by sports background? Mm-hmm. And um, there have been some trends, I guess, of, of people that seem to do better than others. Uh, wrestlers seem to do really well. Uh, at buds um water polo players ironically uh seem to do really well at buds but other than that no real rhyme or reason um but i think anybody that's gone to buds and has made it all the way through the training would tell you it is so much more about what's upstairs that that psychological perspective of what you're going through versus the physical aspect of it. It's so much more mind over, over, over brawn or, or body or body type or strength or power or endurance. It's. Okay. You're telling us about buds and my internet dropped. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can't tell. We had, we had a little break there. Yes. Commercial break. (laughs) Exactly. So you were telling us about how you can't tell from somebody's body type or physiology or their, their, uh, or their same thing, body type, physiology, or, or their sports background, but you can't predict how they'll do in buds. Is that right? Yeah. In our buds class, we had, um, uh, we started with uh, 189, I think was the number that we started with in my class. And we had, you know, guys from six foot four down to five foot plus, And we had big, thick guys. We had little skinny guys. And you just, when you, when you look at the, um, the, of the original 189, we had 22, uh, graduate and we had a couple other guys fold in from a, from a previous class that were medically, uh, rolled into our class. Mm -hmm. Um, but from, the people that started to the people that finished, we still, we had tall guys, we had short guys, we had guys with athletic background, guys without an athletic background. But the, the, the one thing I would say we all had in common was that perspective of once we started this program, we were not going to quit mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. Understanding we might, we might get hurt we might, um, you know, break a bone or something and get rolled to another class, but that no matter what happened, we would never uh, ring the bell. And that is, there, there's a, there's a, there, there's kind of a, I don't know if it's a psychological aspect, uh, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain other than, um, everyone has that in common and, and you can 
take that out into working in the teams. When you're in a, a, a small team, um, what you can accomplish as a small team um, with um, fellow like-minded teammates is mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. And um, one of your big, one of my biggest takeaways from Bud's was that my body was able to do much more than what I um, mentally thought initially that my body could do. Yeah. Um, you, you, you break, you, you get broken down and you think you can't be broken down any further and still function. And yet they break you down further and you still function. And yet they break you down further and still function. And mm -hmm. then they put you into hell week and hell week is uh, just under a full week of uh, little to no sleep. A lot of guys will say no sleep. Um, that's not necessarily true because if you, if you're boat crew, they break you into boat crews, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, if your boat crew wins an event, you might get a five minute nap. And <laughs> if your boat crew loses an event and comes in last, you might have to go run with your boat an extra half mile or something like that, you know? So uh, there's it definitely uh, uh, pays to be a winner in, in hell week, mm -hmm. but you learn a lot about yourself yeah. when you, when, when sleep is taken away uh, from you yeah. and um, you learn a lot about your teammates. You learn a lot about what makes uh, people tick. Um, and it really is amazing how, how dig how deep you can dig uh, in, internally and, and achieve some incredible things. Um, yeah, it but, makes marathon swimming sound very, kind of easy. It makes what? Marathon swimming sound kind of easy compared to <laughs> something like that. <laughs> well, I, ironically, you'd be surprised how many people go to Bud's are really not that great as swimmers. I mean, you would think that the field teams, everybody's great swimmers. That's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. um, my class, there was one other swimmer that graduated in, in my class. Uh, and he was not a collegiate swimmer. He swam in high school. Um, we had a bunch of wrestlers, a bunch of uh, football players. We had some, uh, we had two guys that were cross country runners. <laughs> they didn't do very well in the cold water, but they had that mental, you know, I'm not going to quit. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. going to go hypothermic and you're going to have to pull me out of the water a bunch of times, <laughs> but I'm not going to quit. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, um, it was, uh, it was fascinating time. It was, it, the most fun I had in the Navy was at Bud's. And I know that sounds so bizarre because it is <laughs> kind of brutal, nasty training, but you become so you become so close and so tight with the guys that do make it through mm -hmm. um, all that training, you know, that six six months of just agony, cold, cold, wet, and miserable. Um, but it's also in a bizarre sort of way, kind of kind of fun. You know, there's something about when you're laying in the surf zone and everybody's jackhammering and everybody, you, you lock arms and, and you're all laying there and the waves are just washing over and they have you laying in the, in the sand. And uh, the instructors will say something like, um, okay, we're going to lay here until somebody quits. And it's like, <laughs> and you're like looking up and down. It's like, wow, this really sucks. I hope somebody quits. And then, as soon as an instructor would say almost every time within like two minutes, somebody to get up and they go ding, 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 uh, ring the bell three times. And that, that's what happens when, when a, when a guy uh, quits, they ring the bell and then they leave. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of Machiavellian. You have the instructors just hovering, just saying, Hey, hot coffee and donuts right over there. All you got to do is ring the bell <laughs> and uh during hell week our numbers uh dropped by about three quarters i'd say three quarters of the guys that quit quit during those seven days yeah and yeah. um 
Yeah, real uh, <laughs> interesting time. But I guess I think your real question was how did swimming help you with with SEAL training? And a lot of people freak out during the, the drown proofing, during the breath holding, during the underwater knot tying and, and all these, um, um, these evolutions that the instructors have you do in open water or in a pool. And for swimmers, that is the one time I would say during Bud's train where you can just take <sighs> and just relax. Yeah, yeah. The, honestly, the water stuff is so damn easy if you grew up in right. in the water. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, then that, how that was, I, that was relaxed time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then just how Bud's prepped you for for marathon swimming. Take us back to Monterey, jackhammering on the beach. You know, you've you have this history of you know, getting through anything, you know, bonding with a team, doing amazing things. I feel like that's a little bit of what marathon swimming is. So take us back to your prep for the English channel. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, under, if, if, if anything, if I took anything away from Bud, it, two of the physical things I took away were, were one, when you're super tired, how, to very, very much focus to still accomplish um, focused skills, whatever they are. But the other was cold. Um, they really go out of their way to make the students really, really uncomfortable. And they do that with, with cold water. Um, different special operations trainings do it in different ways. Um, you know, ranger training, man, you got to hike a long way and it's brutal. Um, the Army Special Forces, uh, you got to be able to live off the land uh, in the mountains and in the forest and, and, and all that. Everybody focuses on different things. And I'm not saying Bud's only focuses on making you cold, wet and miserable, but cold water is, is, a, big, is a big part of it. That's how they kind of break through um, and, and find guys' weaknesses uh, the quickest. So you learn how to function when you're right on that edge of being hypothermic. Um, so from that perspective, from the cold water perspective, I think it absolutely helps um, prepare um, for, for, for a channel swim in this case. Mm -hmm. um, and then also just that that physical exhaustion when yeah. you get to that level uh when you don't think initially you can do more understanding deep deep down you understanding that you actually can uh keep going and um understanding that no matter how cold you are if you just kick hard for a mm -hmm. few minutes you can warm yourself up yep. and, and, and just always moving and all those things you kind of learn in, in butts. And, um, they all absolutely helped in Mon in Monterey and, um, uh, you know, slowly acclimated o over time and worked my way up to, um, I believe it, it was a 10 hour threshold swim or like you had to show, in order mm -hmm. to get the final approval uh, to, to go over and do the swim, you had to show that you spent 10 hours uh, in water, no warmer than, I think the, the max was like 62 maybe. That's what I was gonna say, I think it's 62, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think 62 in Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we went up to uh, uh, San Francisco. This is where I met uh, Susie Dodds actually, she helped me out. Nice. And uh, got me in with the with the club up there. It was like, oh yeah, you're gonna do channel. Here's here's what we recommend and do laps around the uh, San Francisco Aquatic Park. Park. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and yeah, she she was great. She helped uh, line up kayakers. Uh, she was a kayaker, and they they had a rotation. Uh, they taught me a lot about feeding. I remember looking up where I was going like three times in a row and, and she taps me with the paddle <laughs> and she's like, Hey, 
<laughs> Stop looking forward. Why are you doing that? Just look at me. <laughs> and that was out. great because she's like, you know, you, if you look forward every five to seven strokes over the course of a 12 hour swim, think of all the energy you're wasting. Exactly. You never need to look forward. Just swim and look to the side. And as long as you see the boat, everything's good. Little tips like that yeah. during that 10 hour swim there were great. And then um, I always tell people that, that, that swim in San Francisco, and it didn't even matter how far you went. It was more about breaking through that mental barrier of knowing you can be, I think the temp that day was like 60 degrees, mm -hmm. but that, 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 that just knowing that you can be in 60 degree water for 10 hours is huge, yeah. huge for, for me, it was because I, I had no background in this. Um, so that, that was very helpful. Um, and then after that, uh, there was a Tahoe swim, you know, the Lake Tahoe, um, relay, uh, mm -hmm. swim. Trans Tahoe relay. Yeah. The Trans Tahoe relay. Yeah. Um, my, my dad was, uh, was a ski patrol in, in Tahoe for like 30 years. Oh, awesome. And my family has, has, um, a cabin up there and, uh, Karen thought that it'd be a good idea to do the Trans Tahoe Relay as a solo. Of course, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that'd be a good confidence booster. You should do it. And so, um, but but she's right because you had the um, you had the immersion thing in, in aquatic park, being in mm -hmm. the water for 10, 10 hours, swimming for ten hours. Uh, to this day, I don't know how far I swam. You know, I didn't have any like GPS tracker, right? Or like that. Right. But with the with the Trans Tahoe swim, um, I don't remember how, do you know? Did you do the width? It does the width, right? So it's like 12 miles yeah, or something. Yeah, just the width. Yeah, like yeah. 12 miles. But knowing, you know, okay, 12 miles, did it, no problem. Stayed in cold water for 10 hours, did it. I'm not going to say no problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, that, 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 and back to the mental piece with, with yeah. Bud, when you finish Bud, you mentally know that you can do anything in a, you know, in a, in, in a, in a certain operational capacity wise, mm -hmm. you know, if you're told that you're going to go on a mission and you're going to have to be up for three days straight, you don't even give it a second thought. You're like, yeah, I know okay. I can do that. Yeah. It's the same idea that that coming away from the the San Francisco swim and the Trans Tahoe swim, it was like, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, was raising money, um, and that was going very well. Actually, there was a San Francisco Examiner article they did, uh, and that was really cool. Um, he came and uh came and witnessed part of that 10 hour mm -hmm. swim and he wrote a cool article about neil and uh and the cause and then at the bottom of the article he gave um uh, some information on if you want to donate and i remember thinking uh it's a military cause and it's san francisco i'm not gonna get any money out of that yeah oh my god I was so wrong. Really? The majority of our fundraising came out of that article. Wow. And I got so many um, cool letters um, supporting uh, the swim and what it was about to help um, Neil's family, but also to help uh, Gold Star families, spouses and surviving kids and all that. And um, the message was super strong. It was like, hey, we're behind you 100%. Um, when you're doing the swim and it starts to really suck, think about us. And that, that's one of my messages, I guess, for in, in marathon swims or anything, really, when, when people are going out uh, to go do or take on a, uh, like something that is just going to be really, really difficult in challenging um, psychologically and physically, um, it's always best, in my opinion, to do it 
for a cause, something that's greater, greater than yourself, yeah. uh, whether you're raising money or not. I mean, it could just be in memory of somebody mm-hmm. raising awareness. In my case, it was kind of in memory of Neil, but raising resources and, and funds uh, for the Navy SEAL Foundation and the UDT SEAL Association. Um, okay. So, yeah, that was... Uh, Take us to England. What was it like when you got there? <laughs> Did you feel ready? When I got to uh, Dover? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I remember Chris Osman was the uh, pilot, um, and he he met us there. So, so we we fly out to um, we, we fly. Uh, God, what did we do? I guess we flew to London, and then we rented a car, and drove to Dover. But uh, Chris met us there, and it was um, Katie, my wife, Sean, who was um, almost two. (laughs) We might have made some mistakes in this. (laughs) Not only did we have Sean, who was almost two, but we had brand new, one month old, Ryan. That has been a long, hard uh, Yeah, I think on the first leg of the flight out of uh, out of Monterey for this monster trip out to to Dover, uh, the first leg of that trip, Katie and I were looking at each other like, "Hmm." (laughs) really a wise plan. But we were like trying to treat it as a little vacation, you know. But anyway, so it's Katie, Sean, Ryan, myself, um, my mom and dad. And another uh, family friend, Joe Walsh, all met us there as well. Uh, my dad and Joe were the um, support crew on board with Chris Osman, his crew, and then a uh, channel association observer mm-hmm. uh, to make sure everything was uh, uh, copacetic with the rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got out there. Um, I gave myself a two-week window weather window I was I wasn't um a a first swimmer for Chris I was a second swimmer okay and if I remember this was in 2004 so a few years ago (laughs) but I uh I remember getting there and Chris giving us a weather brief and saying you know so and so has first rider refusal on every good weather day uh, and in the meantime, this is where we should do some swimming in the bay here or in the, um, not the bay, but, you know, right, right outside where our hotel yeah. was. Yeah, it was a good place to do some pace, pace uh, counts and, and get an idea of my, my, my pace and, and speed for, for, for Chris to do all the charting on mm-hmm. where best to take off from and when best to leave based on on the tides. Um, So this was all new to me. I I didn't know anything about all this, but we learned a lot from Chris and uh, met some other swimmers that also were were waiting uh, to go and for a good break in the weather and the tides and everything. Um, So we got there. Um, I felt like, I felt like I was ready. I was confident. Um, you know, I had, uh, I had talked with, uh, Neil's wife, Patty, and she had given me a really good pep talk before flying over. Mm -hmm. I talked with Mike Troy, of course, he'd given me a good pep talk and, um, went over there and, uh, Chris said, okay, well, um, I'll let you know. I'll try to give you, you know, six to eight hours heads up, but no promises. Just be ready to go. Right. And uh, I was like, okay. So the first night, nothing. And, you know, swam the next day, eating a lot, trying to, you know, stay bulked up. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I had put on like, um, because I remember I was usually 215 and I was, two it was 25 so I was 240 so I had put on uh wow. 25 pounds for for this effort and um uh but yeah lots of insulation <laughs> <laughs> but uh 
So, yeah, and I can't remember. It was, I want to say it was like three, three or four days after we had gotten there. And we had a like, okay, we're going to go. But then the guy before me who had said he didn't want to go, then he changed his mind oh, at the last goodness. minute. He said, no, I'm going to go. <laughs> um, but anyway, two, uh, a couple days later, um, I can't remember all the details, but I, I know when Chris called us was um, late at night. And he said, let's go at three o'clock this morning. <laughs> we'll load the boat at three in the morning and we'll have a four o'clock departure from Shakespeare Beach. And I was like, oh, Hello. When I press something on my computer, is your brother come up? I'm on the phone, okay? No, no. Um. Do you want to say hi? No, Aaron. Say hi. Who's that? <laughs> this is Soren. <laughs> hi. How are you? It's John. Can't hear you. <laughs> my headset on, but. Can you can help you, do you think? No, he can't. He can't? Okay, can you do Legos for a little bit? I'm almost done, okay? Okay. Thanks. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> baby. Um, I, um, my computer, when I press something, it just, it doesn't go to it. Oh, okay. You want to try turning it off and turning it off? Maybe no, go. that's what we tried. Oh, okay, can you share with brother? We're almost done. Can you close the door and we're out? Thank you. Almost done. Sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. We, we probably have one of those interruptions coming on my end any minute now. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious. I'll, I'll try to speed it up. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you get the... The th the we're leaving at 3 a.m., which is in like five hours. So quick, grab, grab a nap. <laughs> That's the call. Yeah, grab. And, and yeah, of course, I slept really well. Now it's starting the one to sink month in. old and the two year old either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it's starting to sink in of what I'm getting ready to do. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, I'm not a marathon swimmer. What the hell am I doing here? <laughs> um, you are now. <laughs> But uh, we, we loaded up and uh, he took us out to Shakespeare Beach, put some chem lights on me um, and uh, swam in for the start. Uh, there was a uh, like a uh, like a reporter on the beach uh, taking some pictures and stuff. That was kind of cool and uh, did a short interview, uh, said a prayer <laughs> and jumped in the water and, uh, and started. And I remember at the beginning, uh, it was so, so calm. Like mm. there was not a breath of wind. It was like being like the, you know, when you jump in the pool and you're the first one swimming, there's no ripples or nothing. It was awesome. And I remember thinking, oh, God, thank you very much, because it's going to be this way the whole way. Right, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> oh, my God. No, that as soon as the sun started coming up, the wind mm. picked up uh, uh, with it. And um, I would say we, we, we probably made it. Um, well, here, let me back up. The feeding, um, I thought that was um, we experimented with a lot of stuff and mm -hmm. back to Karen, she, Karen had given us a lot of, uh, good pointers and trial and error on her end. Um, and what we decided to, what we ended up going with was every, uh, 20 minutes. And then what would happen is my uh, dad on the deck of the boat at, at 20 minutes, he'd wave two chem lights. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the chem lights, I would swim closer to the boat and he had, um, we had, we had a large, um, um, uh, water bottle, like, you know, a bicycle water bottle, mm -hmm. but a, a, a extra large one. And it was on a piece of yellow polypro line, that kind of rope that floats. Yeah. And so I'd swim over close and then they would throw the water bottle out in front of me. And mm -hmm. I would swim over the line. And when I felt the line, I'd 
turn over on my back and just kick, you know, back mm-hmm. to you know, always moving. And I would just keep kicking and drink the whole water bottle on my back. And then once I was done, I just let it go, turn over and keep going. Mm-hmm. And every 20 minutes, the whole way across, that's, that's how we did it. Um, and I would say, even with the wind and the chop and stuff, not until about halfway did I have any problems at all. Like it was, I don't want to say like enjoyable, but it was, I was in that, I was in the zone mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it was great. And then I don't know what happened, but halfway across the, the swells in the wind, it, it turned from swells to more like water like waves hitting each other yeah and it became like the and I think it had something to do with the tidal shift that was Mm -hmm. going on like wind wind going this way tide going this way I think I hit I started and it was wind and tides going together and then the tidal shift and then it was winds and tides going opposed and so it was the waves just and it was like being in a freaking washing machine yeah and I did not feel like I was making any progress. Right. <laughs> um, but apparently we, we were still making progress. It was just real slow. Um, and I remember I started having a lot of shoulder uh, oh, problems. Yeah. And I knew I might have some shoulder problems. So um, uh, they tried giving me some anti-inflammatory, you know, taped to the uh, side of the water bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried taking those pills, but then, you know, like a half hour later, I'd be throwing it up. Oh, no. It's not good. Um, but still making forward progress. Um, and I remember at one point being uh, really just, mentally so dejected um, or or just down on myself and thinking I remember all these negative thoughts just like what the hell was I I thinking why am I out here this (laughs) is not me I am not a marathon swimmer I'm not gonna make it oh my god and just all this negativity in my head and I remember the wind was howling at that point and uh and I look over to Chris's uh uh, boat and it's like my dad and, and Joe Walsh was the other guy my dad and Joe it's like they knew oh by the way my wife and my mom are not anywhere near the the the, the chase boat or the the, the yeah guy. yeah good um, with the baby yeah, <laughs> the uh, they they are <laughs> they are on a ferry <laughs> going across the channel in the rental car to go meet me on the the other side that's a whole nother adventure (laughs) my mom Katie, sean who had to be basically on a leash and then the new the the newborn ryan that's a whole nother story so they're not on the they're not on the boat but you have some incentive to get to the shore because you're expecting your family to be there right yeah, yeah, you know, that's part of the motivation. Get over there so I can hug Katie and the kids and yay, have a picture or something, right? <laughs> so the wind's blowing, I'm miserable, I have these negative thoughts in my head, and I think Joe and my dad kind of saw it all happening, and I'll never forget, and I take this one breath and I'm looking to my right and I look and I see the two of them holding something in the wind. And I take another couple strokes and I look again and I remember the wind's blowing and they're both holding an American flag between the two of them that they had snuck onto the boat. I didn't know. And I remember I saw the American flag and, uh, and I remember, uh, and I get emotional just thinking about it. Right I get goosebumps thinking about it. Wow. I remember re- like stopping in the water and like my goggles are filling up with tears, you know, and I'm like dumping them and I'm like, oh my God, what am I thinking? I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this for Neil. 
And it was like, Shanna, it was like, like all the pain and suffering and all that stuff, it just went away. And I was just like, all right, man, let's go. And, and my dad said, like, my stroke count went from, like, 52 to, like, 60 for, like, the rest of it. Like, <laughs> and it was so cool that, that I don't, you know, it was, the, but, but it gets back to that mental piece. It's yeah. such an important part of mm-hmm. doing these, these long duration events. Um, so everything was good um, at that point until... And this was something Susie told me. This was something Karen told me. Dirk Boma is another friend of mine who had swam over there. All these people told me when you start getting close, still never look forward. Don't look forward. (laughs) Just look at the boat. And I was like, well, why wouldn't you want to look forward when you start getting close? It's like, just trust me. Don't look forward. Well, I could, you know, I, I, I knew we'd been going for like, for like 11 hours 11 and a half hours and i remember thinking with my pace da, 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 and we were shooting for that that piece cape grenay um, cape grenay yeah that, that sticks out the furthest and i was like oh my god getting close and i'm right on time i was wearing a watch i think that was a mistake i look forward and and it was windy, but it was clear. You know, it was it, the sun was out. Thank God that that makes a big difference too. When the sun. <laughs> yeah, and I looked, helped. and I saw the cliff, and I remember thinking, "Yes!" And I <laughs> swam again, and then I looked again, and they were further away. I think right. I wasn't yeah. sure. And then I'm like, "That was weird." And I looked up again, and they were definitely further away and it felt like I was swimming backwards <laughs> and that was such a downer oh my <laughs> god after all you know it's been like 12 hours into it at this point it feels like I'm going backwards I remember going what the fuck's going on <laughs> but we missed we missed it and oh. you know so we that that we missed that title shift had had come and and, and we we missed the the point um, so I just, I, I, I think I understood what was happening, but it sure felt like I was going backwards. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, but after another, another half hour, finally saw the beach, saw it starting to get closer, um, started swimming really hard and I uh, was definitely kind of fighting the current to get in. Um, but got in, um, finished in, uh, 12 and a half hours, 12, 26, I think it was, um, sat there on the beach for a little bit. I had a a cap with an American flag on it. And, uh, I remember there were people on the beach and I, I don't know, I kind of was thinking somebody would come up and say, Hey, congratulations or something. Nothing. Nothing, right? It was right after Lance Armstrong had won, uh, you know, whichever number it was at the time in 04, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Tour de France. And I remember thinking, God, I wonder if they're not talking to me because. <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing I thought of was like, where, where's Katie? Yeah, where, exactly. Where's Katie, where's Katie, my mom and the kids. And I'm like looking around and I don't see them anywhere. And uh, uh, what had actually happened is they, had been driving up on the cliffs up there and they'd stop at a road and then they'd go to the edge of the cliff and look and see the boat, get in the road, drive a little further, <laughs> see the boat. And they were trying to, to judge it and they, and they misjudged it. And uh, so I never saw them. And, uh, but they, but they saw me swimming back to the oh, inflatable to boat. boat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't, we didn't link up on the beach, which was kind of a bummer. But we all met back at, uh, you know, at the White Horse Pub and uh, <laughs> nice. got, got my free pint of Guinness and <laughs> called, uh, I called, the first thing I did when I got back right outside the, uh, the White Horse Pub is uh, a, a pay phone, or at least there was. And I remember <laughs> I called, uh, I called Patty and uh, told her that, that we did it. And, uh, and that was real special. That was Neil's and, wife. Uh, 
Neil's wife, yeah. And so Neil, um, yeah, so, so I talked to Patty and then went into the pub, uh, had, had a Guinness, and uh, so successful uh, swim. Yeah. My name up on, up on the <laughs> wall there. And awesome. That, that's, 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 that's my open water. Uh, that's my channel swim store. So we ended up raising about um, $30,000 for the foundation, which at the wow. time was a lot. But uh, now that since, since then, they've made a lot, 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 lot more money to help out uh, Gold Star families. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you learned about yourself through marathon swimming that you didn't that you didn't already know from Buds and your previous event life events? <laughs> um, I think it reinforced how important having your your head right is yeah. regardless of where you are from a physical perspective uh, uh, it's important to have yourself psychologically prepared for something like that mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 the psychological preparation is probably just as important if not more important than the physical yep. uh, preparation um, but uh, I, so I learned that. I, I don't think I learned that about myself. I think it reinforced, reinforced it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will say that that was one of the hardest things. I think that's probably the hardest thing I ever done in my life was that, that, that swim. Yeah. Um, I think it was harder than anything I did it, but. Yeah. What a great but, cause. But it was tough, <laughs> but you always, you always knew no matter what evolution that you were in during SEAL training, you always knew that that evolution was going to end. It might not end for 20 minutes. It might not end for three hours, but you always knew it was going to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it was a controlled environment. Yeah. Um, marathon swimming, what I learned, <laughs> is it is an uncontrolled environment Mm -hmm. and that makes the psychological piece even that much more uh important staying calm and knowing that your training is going to help you pull through and making sure that you uh have something to to fall back on mentally um to keep you mentally strong yeah yeah, that's great. That's great advice. That's a good place to end it. Thank you so much for sharing your story, John. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, no, no worries, Shannon. I'm glad Stephen hooked uh, us up with each other. hope you enjoyed this episode. Have you heard of the Intrepid Water Accountability Group? We'll support and encourage each other on a private chat platform, pursue monthly challenges both in the water and on land, and meet virtually once a month to dive deep on a topic. If you'd like to join a group of like-minded limit pushers from around the globe, join the Intrepid Water Accountability Group. Find out more at intrepidwater.com.